Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. Let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Tim Nidell, and you are listening to Saturday Morning Rewind, the show that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. And for this episode, we're taking you all the way back to the year 1983, back when the final episode of MASH aired and gas only cost $1.16 per gallon. <sighs> I'm not going to say anything else about gas, because, yeah. Anyways, and back when the Littles first premiered. The Littles, when I was growing up, was one of my all-time favorite cartoons. And it's such an underrated cartoon still today. We don't really hear much about it. And that's a shame, because it really is a great show. And that's why I'm excited for this episode, because I am going to be interviewing the voice of Dinky Little himself, Robert David Hall. It's my fault. All my fault, Grandpa Little. If it weren't for my stupid pizzas, none of this would have happened. Robert also gave voice to Colonel Sharp in G.I. Joe. Calling Joe Unit Alpha. The president is taking the alien's threat seriously, Joe. And many of you may even recognize him from television because he was one of the main characters in 328 episodes of the original CSI where he played Dr. Al Robbins. About 10 times cheaper than the brand sold by our medical supply company. Just as accurate. In all those years when I used to watch CSI in my early 20s, I never knew that he was a voice of Dinky Little, a character that I admired so much as a kid. Probably one of the first cartoon characters I remember just loving when I was three years old when it first came out. So I had an amazing time chatting with Robert about all of his voiceover roles. But before I play that interview, please make sure to check us out online, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And if you want to help us out, we do have a Patreon. Starting at only two bucks a month, you can really help us out. Just like our executive producer of this episode, Mike Clemens. Mike, you're awesome. Thank you for your continued support. And our producers of this episode are Tori Garvin, Gemma Bright, Alan S86, and Luis Alvarez, which is a new producer. Thank you so much for your support. It means everything to me. If you're listening and want to help us out, just go to the website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com, and go to the donation tab. Hello, Dr. Mindbender here from G.I. Joe, hijacking your regularly scheduled program to bring you this very important interview from Saturday Morning Rewind. How you doing, man? Well, I'm fine. Fine. You're up in Nevada, right? I'm, I'm actually in uh, Montana. I'm actually from Nevada, but I live in Montana now. Great. What city? Uh, just south of Missoula. One of my very best friends was from Missoula. Oh, really? I find that happens a lot with celebrities. Like, they know like a lot of people from Missoula or uh, like Kalispell or Great Falls. Yeah, this guy was a, a country singer, a guy named Chris Wall, who did most of his stuff out of Austin, Texas, but uh, he was definitely a Montana lover. 
Oh, it's amazing. I mean, just Saturday, it was like 55 degrees. And now today it's like 10 degrees and snowing. So you never know what to expect. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I grew up in the snow. Yeah, you grew up in the uh, Northeast. Is that right? Yeah, upstate New York. I, I was born near New York City, but lived in the city when I was a little boy and then upstate New York and then D.C., Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, and all over the place, and then finally California at about the age of 12 or 13. Oh, wow. Why did you guys move cross-country to California? Well, I'm from a Navy family, but my dad was in the Navy during the war, but he was a hyper-educated guy. went to Caltech and then law school out east, and uh, he worked in the aerospace industry and ended up as a patent attorney and always seemed to be moving. Huh. We had five kids, and probably accounts for why I'm talking to you, because my best friends were on TV or in books or on records. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, one year you'd have no problem at school, the next year you'd have no friends. <laughs> so you made up your own friends. That's that's partly true. You know, I did the same thing, you know, sat, my, my parents were always there, but I always had the good old Saturday morning cartoons to rely on to keep me company for a handful of hours. It's funny. I Books, comic books, records, TV shows, cartoons. Um, you know, I'm a definitely a boomer, but uh, <laughs> it, it's really amazing how culture affected our generation. Uh-huh. Tell, tell me about your childhood. You, you mentioned comic books. What were some of your favorites? I loved Superman, Batman. I just started growing up when Spider-Man started, but okay. uh, I read everything. You know, if you, I had one sister, and she read Archie and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I pretty much liked the boy comics. I'm trying to think like movies. I like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Oh yeah, and classic. That kind of stuff and. Uh, I'm, I'm up there now, but I, I, I mean, I just, I went to the movies every Saturday and small town, you know, I grew up in a lot of small towns. So I saw the, you know, the serials, the captain, uh, the, the flash Gordons and uh, the captain midnights and all that kind of stuff. So what about any, uh, Disney animated features? You know, the first movie I think I ever saw was Peter Pan. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, it really was. And I, I saw all the stuff that, that Disney put out. It's it's funny you should bring that up because in college I worked at Disneyland. Oh, uh, what'd you for do there? Three and a half years. I was a jungle boat captain. <laughs> and, my, and my first paid voice gig was announcing the Christmas parade. Okay. In 1965, they, uh, they had an audition for all the ride operators in the park. And I won it. And... They had four professional announcers and one employee, and I got to stay up at the train station and announce the Christmas parade, and they gave me 25 bucks <laughs> for every parade I announced, and I thought I was the richest guy in the world. <laughs> so so 1965, that would have been a year before Walt Disney passed away. Did you ever run into Walt Disney? I did. You I did. did. I started at Disneyland in 64. And uh, he actually rode on my jungle boat. Oh, man. Talk about pressure, One right? of the more terrifying things in my life. But he's a very, very nice guy, and he insisted that you call him Walt. Uh-huh. And I remember uh, uh, one guy with us was so nervous that he kept calling him Mr. Disney. And finally, Walt got 
sort of ticked off at him and said, it's Walt. <laughs> <laughs> Disneyland had a, a big, I still have a lot of friends who I worked with there and the jungle boat boys, I can't do as much of it as I might like, but they're always getting together and trying to have parties. And, you know, I'm not a huge drinker, or anything, uh-huh. but I, I, I can't keep up with them. You know, they, I, I've sort of, uh, gotten I've done a lot of different things in my life and I'm, I'm not one of these guys who you know at 12 said I'm gonna I'm gonna be this when I grow up yeah. I if I hadn't moved to California I doubt that I'd be an actor today but the uh, you know life takes us on odd odd journeys absolutely and, you know what is it John Lennon said life is what happens while you're busy yeah. making other plans <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's one of the best quotes because it's so accurate yeah now, you started off as a disc jockey, is that right? I did. Uh, not by plan. Um, really? What was I doing? I was playing guitar in a sort of an average band in Orange County, California, near Disneyland. And uh, I had graduated high school. I was kind of going to college, but I was working in a band. And I did some traveling as a guitar player, but... When I was working in this band, a guy came up to me and he was the program director at a small station in the city of Orange, California, which is right next door to Anaheim. And he said, I'm starting this station. And I don't have any records. And I had a good record collection. So I lent him half of my record collection to start this <laughs> radio station. And he said, uh, have you ever worked in radio? And I kind of fibbed and said, well, you know, in college, I sat in one night with a friend who was a DJ. So I said, yeah, I did a little in college. So he said, good, you're my nighttime guy. Oh, wow. And suddenly I, I got to this radio station. I had no idea what I was doing. So I got there early, watched the guy before me and basically figured out how to put a record on a turntable and turn <laughs> the right knob. And working at midnight at this, you know, no watt radio station, I, I eventually learned how to do the, the stuff there and they liked my voice and I got to work in the daytime. And my second job of all things was up in LA. So I, I moved from the sticks to one of the dream jobs, mm-hmm. but I had a pretty heavy duty thing happen in between while I was at this small station, I was injured pretty badly. A drunk guy in a 18 wheeler ran me over and I was uh, in a burn ward for about seven months. I lost yeah. both of my legs. Oh, man. And I, you know, I learned to walk on prosthetics. And I'm very fortunate to be alive, it, it, you know, 45 years ago. But I obviously still, you know, live with the what happened then. But people on the radio can't hear that. You know, they just, yeah. this program director from KNX FM in Los Angeles was driving up from San Diego, he'd been doing a jingle session for his station and he heard me on the radio and gave me a call and he said, uh, you want to come on up, and meet me? And I said, sure. He was looking for a newsman and I auditioned and I got the news job. Huh. But as I was walking down the hall of the station, big CBS station in uh, on Sunset in Hollywood, I started talking music to him and he realized that I knew a lot about music and that I loved it. And he was looking for a music director and 
I went up there and got a news job and I ended up as the music director and on air guy, you know, in the course of, of like two days. And, uh, I really loved it and I was pretty, pretty good at it. You know, we, we got good ratings and LA is a very competitive market, but being in LA sort of opened up a lot of things. Um, Somebody heard me on the radio and said, hey, do you do voiceovers? And I had no idea what they were talking about. So I took a couple of courses and I got together. Back then, you you put together uh, tapes, you know, and I put together a reel-to-reel tape. And I really didn't know what I was doing, but uh, it worked, I guess. And I, and I got to, what was it? I think it was doing a job for a ski resort or something okay. really silly and they paid me a hundred bucks and I thought, wow, this is great. <laughs> so then I started learning, meeting people who actually did it for real. And I walked around and some lady named Donnelly Davies who had her own little agency took pity on me. And I suddenly was up in a office in North Hollywood and there were people whose voices I recognized. Uh, Vic Perrin was one of her clients. Wow. He was the voice of uh, outer limits. Uh-huh. For the next 60 minutes, we will control your TV. And I, I was thrilled because I've always loved the voices on commercials and on TV shows. And the chair across the way was the guy who played the lawman on TV, John Russell. And uh, who else? I met Frank Welker, who is oh, yeah. one of the great. Oh, yeah. I know you know who oh, Frank is. Oh, of course. Is, yeah, who doesn't? In, Frank in was, my Of my generation, who doesn't know that name? Oh, Frank and I met Michael Bell, yep. who uh, at the time was famous for doing butter. You know, he made <laughs> enough money to buy a house in Santa Barbara with the word <laughs> butter. And I, these were the stories I heard. But I met uh, just all the old school guys. I was lucky I started when I did because uh, eventually I went up to a bigger agency in the lobby. It used to be you had to go in and wait and audition at your agent's. Or they'd send you out to a private casting place. And in the lobby of Cunningham, where I, I ended up, uh, oh gosh, I met Neil Ross, who's a great animation voice yep. and a friend of mine. Jack Riley, the guy from the New Heart Show, wonderful guy. Uh, oh, my gosh. Who else? Just uh, a lot of old timers who were uh, William Woodson. Oh, gosh. Bill Shallert. All these... Huh. You know, old timers to me, now I'm their age, but the uh, they were just wonderfully funny guys. I can't tell you how funny they were. You know, we were punks to them, but mm-hmm. they knew we were coming up. And I remember John Irwin, who was famous as Morris the Cat in those commercials. And John told me, he said, yeah, I came out here to be an actor and I got a couple of roles on Rawhide, you know, the Clint Eastwood TV show. And he said, I learned to ride and I got a, made a few bucks then, but then I found this voiceover thing. And then I found this cartoon thing and, you know, they called it cartoon work back then, but now we have all kinds of fancy names for it. I do animation work. I do, uh, you know, you don't just do one thing. You're a specialist, yep. a gunslinger. Yep. And uh, that's when I was coming up, people started branching off into, I do trailer work. I do film trailer work. I do TV trailer work. I do. I specialize in animation. I specialize in documentary work. 
And I did a little bit of everything because that's what you had to do to survive. And it, it led uh, eventually to, because of my disability, I thought I would never be able to do acting work because that's, I sort of secretly wanted to. But in the 1980s, they started getting interested in people with disabilities. And I went to this huge casting call and I got into the final five. I didn't win the gig, but I was hooked. You know, it was like Dracula having blood for the first time. Yeah. I, what is my first gig? It was on some horrible show and I played a creepy guy in a wheelchair. You know, it was just a, it was a silly thing, but my voiceover work paved the way for my acting uh, studies. I, I had the incredible good fortune to study with a man named Gordon Hunt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Helen Hunt's father. Yep. And Gordon was a great acting teacher and sort of a renaissance man. And one of his jobs was uh, he was the main director, voice director at Hanna-Barbera. And so, you know, I, I spent 12 years with Gordon, but somewhere near the beginning, he he asked me, you know, about my voiceover stuff. And one day he called me into Hanna-Barbera. I remember it so clearly because, it, my God, Hanna-Barbera was like a magical place. <laughs> and I, the first day there, I met Dawes Butler, and I saw Michael Bell was there, and yeah. uh, Papa Smurf, and <laughs> uh, uh, oh, June Foray was there. And this was, I, I felt like, you know, meeting the greatest Hollywood stars. You know, yep. it was just, yep. it was, it, it's where you learn not to blow your stack. You have to be cool because they're, they're just people yeah. except they've been doing it a long time and they're famous, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't there to do any kind of characters. Gordon liked my voice and he said, you know, I think I'd like you to do some interstitials. And I shook my head like I knew what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and so my first gig for Hanna-Barbera was, um, this is funny. I haven't talked about this stuff in years. My first gig was going, Yogi and Boo Boo will be right back. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and they're still playing that to this day. Yeah, I still yeah. get, you know, $2.93 <laughs> residuals for Yogi and Boo Boo will be right back. And uh, uh, what else? Just, just some other stuff. And the thing people don't realize is when I started, there were probably 5,000 people trying to get voiceover work and about 300 of them made enough money to qualify for union health insurance. Uh -huh. And that's not a lot of money. You know, a fry cook at McDonald's gets some benefits more than the average actor. So now I'm guessing 20,000 people, maybe 30,000 are trying to get the still the same three to 500 jobs that actually mm -hmm. help you make a living. So it's a tough racket. And I used to be very hopeful and very, dumb about how difficult it was. Thank God. Otherwise I probably would have quit, <laughs> but I loved it. You know, I mean, it just was so much fun. What other gig can you put on a Hawaiian shirt and just go in with people, you know, and have a good time. And uh, the voice actors themselves are great. And I, I've been blessed to work with many of the, just the great ones, but you know, Dawes Butler and Mel Blank for, starters to the gods of the business but there's so many other great ones frank frank welker's a genius I, I really love him and i've worked with rob paulson and i think i did something with maurice lamarche wow i think it's one of the greats yeah of course 
but the directors too. You know, I I've been directed by Gordon Hunt who did all the Smurf stuff and did a I did a couple movies are funny. Gordon would hire me to do like two or three little lines in a movie and the movies are still being shown, you know? It's like <laughs> I remember a truck driver goes out of control and they needed three things of oh ah, <laughs> and I did them, and I'm still getting paid for, (laughs) you know, but it it had to be just the right length. Yep. And it, it, it's funny. It just, but it was fun. And, uh, towards the middle of my voiceover career, they started using celebrities. And I remember Neil Ross and I were talking about it. Are they damn celebrities? You know, but one day I was working on a movie with Gene Hackman and I said, so, you're doing all these commercial voiceovers and I heard you on an animation thing and you're taking work away. And he goes, Hey man, I have expensive hobbies. <laughs> and I, and I thought, yeah, if, if I was a celebrity and they waved money at me, I suppose I'd do it too. Yeah. But I mean, why not? Right. A lot of times the celebrities had great voices, but they didn't understand the, the technique of mm-hmm. voice work or animation work, which is really a specific thing. You know, you have to, be ready and aware. And there are a lot of specific things, you know, sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower. It's always energy. And you have to, you have to watch a lot of animation to, you know, different directors. And again, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with some people who I, I respect like crazy. Andrea Romano and uh, Mm -hmm. Jenny McSwain, Gordon and, blue and there's some others I can't remember right now but they made it fun but it was business too I mean some a guy who I love who did I did GI Joe for quite a while and uh, an old Navy guy named Wally Burr oh yeah (laughs) was the uh, director of GI Joe and Wally would get what he wanted if it took eight hours or eight minutes and he was sort of a tyrant (laughs) <laughs> but the success of the, you know, I mean, they're still playing GI Joe yep. everywhere. And <laughs> I, I have a lot of acting credits, but I meet young people and they go, you were on GI Joe. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny about kids. Uh, the two biggest things I did were GI Joe and the littles. I played a character named Dinky little. Yes. And that yes. ran for five years on, on uh, ABC on Saturday morning. And they made a, a big movie and it was work because I, I did a super high yodeling kind of voice. You learn how to do your voice well and economically, or you'll just talk yourself into a, a sore throat. Mm-hmm. But uh, nowadays you can't just do one voice. You've got to be able to do at least three different voices and, and do them consistently. It's, you know, it's, it's become a even more specialized thing and, I tell people that are just starting out, take a class, study, mimic things. I, I had a, I'll give you a quick story. My nephew had a cabin up in Big Bear next door to Mel Blanc. <laughs> and I remember a, a short while ago, I told her I was injured. And when I was in the hospital, I spent a, a number of months in the hospital. And I had already started trying to do a couple of animation things, voice things. And my nephew told Mel Blanc 
about me and about my accident. And I get this letter in the hospital. And on the envelope, it's sort of a faint picture of Bugs Bunny, who Mel voiced. And I open it up, and it's a letter to me from Mel Blank, which I still have and cherish. He told me about, he said he was injured in 1950, seriously, life and death. Mm -hmm. And he spent a lot of time in the hospital. In the letter, he said he would look out the window and he'd see a squirrel and he'd imagine what the squirrel sounded like. And he'd see a fly on the wall and he'd try to give it a voice. And he would look at a strange nurse and he'd try to imagine how she sounded. And It it was just a a dear letter because he was already a big star Mm -hmm. by then. And I only worked with him once on a, like some show called Sylvester and Tweedy. Yep. I remember that show. And I, I'm sure I had a couple of, you know, nothing roles, but I was in the same room with Mel Blanc and he was (laughs) quite an older gentleman then, but he brought energy and humor and everything else to the party. And I just, I was sad when he passed away because he was, you know, he's the godfather of all voices. Yep. I don't care who you are and what you're doing today. You know, I have a son who's not a boy anymore. He's 39, but he grew up <laughs> with Ren and Stimpy and uh, <laughs> South Park and, yeah. you know, uh, Beavis and Butthead and the yep. Tick and all these things. <laughs> and I, I'm lucky that because of my boy, I, I sort of stayed in touch with what was going on in the 90s. I remember when he turned eight, I was a single dad at the time, and I had at his birthday party, and I knew Rob Paulson. So he he was one of the neat, uh, mutant ninja turtles. Yep. So I arranged him to call the birthday party oh, and talk wow. to the boys as Michelangelo, <laughs> and I, seven of the boys were almost having heart attacks. They were so <laughs> thrilled, but there's always one skeptic, and I remember <laughs> the kid going, "You're not Michelangelo. You're you couldn't be him." He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Michelangelo. My real name is Rob Fulton. And he goes, nah, you're not. You're not him. <laughs> but it, it was, you know, it's, it's funny. The uh, kids still are more impressed with, you know, your, your cartoon work or your animation work than they'll ever be with anything you've done on TV or movies. And that's, that's because it's such a magical business. You know, you, you really, when you're young, you really look forward to your favorite cartoon, yep. or I did anyway. And I, I think kids are still the same way, you know. Yeah, and like you, said, I'm about your son's age. I'm 41. I'll be 42 pretty soon. So, we had the yeah. same kind of childhood growing up, loving turtles. Which that would have been amazing to have Rob Paulson call for my birthday. Oh. I would have just died just right then and there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of the. I, I did something on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay. What was the other one? The things, the toys that turned into robots or Transformers. Cars into, yes, Transformers. Transformers, I, okay. I didn't, I was not a regular on Transformers, but I did a, a couple of them. You know, they'll, the directors would bring in people they liked. Just a session is a session. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to work. You know, I can remember the days when I was hoping to make. 18,000 bucks a year to qualify for my health insurance because I had a kid and people, people forget that, you know, it's not limousines and, and big houses in Bel Air. It's a lot of times it's, uh, Oh my God, I don't have any work this week. And so you're supposed to get better and take classes and, 
try to keep a good attitude and all that sort of stuff. Now, and you, I was lucky sorry. that I was able to hang in long enough to get CSI, which I had 16 years of a regular gig that, on a very popular show. So Yeah, I was, I mean, I used to watch that a lot in my early 20s when it first came out. Never you always killed somebody, and I always had a scene or two. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I would watch it, and you're a memorable character. I never knew that you were the voice of, of Dinky Little, one of my favorite childhood cartoon <laughs> characters. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's like, you know, I, I think about, I think when you, you know, I'm in my early 70s, but I think about the, uh, I'm still the voice of Speedy Cable in Santa Maria, California. Oh, wow. You know, hey, folks, they still shut off the, the station at midnight or two o'clock or something. And, hey, folks, remember, if you have cable trouble, it's time to call Speedy at blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's a job is a job is a job. And one thing I don't know who I got this from, but I'm sure it's from one of the one of my predecessors. You treat every job with as much respect as you can possibly show them. And treat it like you're announcing the Oscars because, you know, I've recorded things in a closet and in the worst studios in the world, mm -hmm. but I've also done it in the, some of the palaces in Hollywood too. And it's still a mic and a, and a good attitude. Absolutely. Now, let's go back just a little bit of ways and talk a little bit about the Littles. I was actually thinking about it today. I think the Littles may be one of the first cartoons I remember watching as a kid, because I was three when it came out. And I just, I just yeah. love that show. And Dinky is, like I said, is one of my favorite cartoon characters. Do you have any stories to tell about behind the scenes, you know, behind the microphone or maybe coming I, up with that voice? The first year, well, it was working with kids because we had a couple of like 10 or 11 year olds at the time. I've forgotten their names, but they were great. They're Lucy Little was a wonderful young girl. And, oh, I'll tell you a couple of stories. I, I, Marcia Goodman was the voiceover director. Andy Hayward was the executive for Deke. It was a Deke production. Andy's gone on to amazing heights, I think. His father, Duke Hayward, was a biggie in the industry, too. But I don't think they knew what they had at first. Because it was a, I think it was a children's book from the forties to the fifties mm. and the first year. And I think the Simpsons will tell you the same thing. The first year it took a couple, three, four episodes for people to find their character's voice. Yeah. Dinky was sort of an, not an idiot, but he was a chaotic young man, not a teenager, not an adult. He, he just, uh, I think I was doing a young Ed Wynn. Okay. Now, Michael Bell taught me this. He said, watch a lot of old movies and look for the character actors and try to imitate their voices because most people don't remember them anymore. And you got to steal until you can really come up with your own <laughs> stuff. And it, and that's true. So Ned Wynn kind of talked like this. You know, he's, he had a an up and down in his voice. So I took it higher. I can't go that high anymore. But it was really tough on my vocal cords at first. But then we started, as a cast, finding a little chemistry together. Now, I remember Alvy Moore played Grandpa Little. Mm -hmm. And Alvy was uh, a wonderful character actor. He was a, a mainstay, a cast member on Green Acres. 
I think he played Hank Kimball on Green Acres. And from my radio days, his daughter was a music director for a big L.A. station, just like I was. And I was friends with his daughter, and I had no idea her father was this wonderful old actor. So I bonded with Alvy, and occasionally we'd <laughs> we'd have, uh, was it Hal Moore? I can't remember his name. The guy who played Otis the Drunk on the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Hal Smith? He, Hal Smith. Yeah. Very, oh, you impressed me, kiddo. <laughs> the uh, Hal Smith was a font of stories. Just a, Oh, man. He would tell me about his life in the early 50s. He said, yeah, I'd do a radio show in the morning, and then I'd go do the Betty White show, and then I'd do a couple of cartoons, and then I'd go do the afternoon, you know, and he did movies and he did, you know, and he had a little ranch up in Oregon and a house in Hollywood. And I thought, wow, now this is some kind of life, (laughs) but he was just a funny guy. And one of the kids on the show on the littles was, um, I can't remember his first name, but his dad was Stan Freeberg. That would have been Donovan then. John. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so one day, they they did a lot of the kids' stuff early so they could get them to school. Okay. And I was waiting in the in the lobby of this recording studio, and Stan Freeberg comes in. He was kind of an idol of mine. I loved his records, and I'd listened to old versions of his radio show, and I just thought he was, you know, one of the greats. And so I found a way to talk to him. I I, I said, you know, I have a uh, the record your record. Uh, the United States of America. And he goes, that is in mono. And I went, really? And he goes, would you like the stereo tape? And the next week he get, brought me the stereo wow. version of the United States of America, which had him and uh, Peter Leeds and Jesse White and all of his stable of uh, characters. Anyway, I got to, you know, I talked to Stan. I said, you know, you really didn't like rock and roll much. I can tell by, by your some of your records. And he goes, I prefer jazz. And I go, well, I, you're like my dad, you know. So anyway, we we got comfortable with each other. And one day he said, how would you like to be a straight man on one of my commercials? I said, absolutely. <laughs> so he hired me to do a movie trailer with him. And when Stan agreed to do anything, he had complete control over the copy and everything. And I had never worked with anybody like that. So I thought, ah, oh, this will be great. He's a pro. It, it should be fast. It should have taken a half an hour to do this commercial. It took about four hours because <laughs> oh, no. he was a perfectionist. And I, I had lines like, it, the movie was called Nuns on the Run. And I, I would be the guy who would say, Nuns on the Run? What an idiotic title. And Stan would come on and go, it may be stupid, but it's a lot of fun. And then I go, what? What's fun? Nuns and car crashes? And he'd go, yes, and more. And it, it was definitely Stan's sense of humor. Uh-huh. And I, I have no idea if it sold tickets to that silly movie, but I know you know, Stan paid me well, and I could, I could say 
I just worked with Stan Freeberg, you know. Yeah, because like you, I'm a huge fan of his work as well, voiceover and, you know, his records. That's just amazing. Yeah, Green Christmas and High School Ooh Ooh and Elderly Man River and things like that. Wow, yep. Well, all right, Robert, I don't want to keep you too long, but let's talk about what's coming up for you next. Do you have any work coming out soon that you wanted to talk about? Well, I've been offered a couple of roles. Uh, COVID screwed everything yeah, up. Yeah, no kidding. The, for Not just for me, but for a lot of people. And I'm not interested in going backwards, if that makes any sense. And I'm one of the lucky actors where I have I have quite a few residuals coming in, but I'm I'm also a musician and I've been, I love writing songs. So I'm doing, working on my music quite a bit. Uh, I got offered a couple of roles. I'm at the age where they offer me, you know, like the old man screaming, get off my lawn, you damn kids. <laughs> but I would like to keep working. You know, that's, uh, it's my joy. I, I've done a couple of student films just cause I enjoy young people. And I'm proud to say that, uh, one of the things I did, uh, for a young lady from SC, won a, an award at, uh, what's the one up in Colorado? Robert Redford's thing. Okay. Um, Sundance. Sundance, yeah. It's, you know, I'm I'm open. If any of your listeners uh, want to hire a good actor, I, I'm, I have a friend with a theater, and I might do a couple theater things too, but it's slower, but it's it's not over, so. I'm on IMDb right now. Upcoming, it says, ah, Roach, you play the president? What is that about? Oh, I did a movie for a friend of mine and uh, a lady in a wheelchair. I do, I'm do. i on the board of a couple of uh, disability things, and I, I do a lot of speaking on disability issues and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a horror movie. I've never done a horror movie. And nice. I always wanted to, so... Atomic energy screws up the bugs, and they come to the White House and kill me. But <laughs> I'll I'll let you know, Tim, if, if that gets released. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you you got to. I've died a few times. When my son was little, he loved seeing the DVDs or the eight tracks of his father getting <laughs> shot by an arrow or blown up. So I think I mean, he was working out his hostility. Yeah, but what kid wouldn't love to see that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can think of a few people I know who I'd like to see blown up in a cartoon, but <laughs> basically I'm, I'm not a hostile man. Yeah. Now, so you, but you just, I, I really appreciate you calling. Of and, course, uh, of course. This has been amazing. I am such a big fan of Dinky Little and even CSI when I watched that in the 2000s um, that I'm just amazed still that you were dinky little all this time. Well, we all have skeletons in our closet and <laughs> I'm I'm proud and happy of those. You know, it's animation is such a great thing and boy, it's getting sophisticated now. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Thank you again for your time. This Thank has you. been truly amazing. I heard some stories today about some people that I have not heard before and that's always a well, blessing. All my best to your listeners and to anybody who enjoyed anything I did. I I really appreciate that, and uh, I hope to talk to you again. I do too, man. Take care. Thank you, Tim. All right, Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.